Few industries inspire passion like sports, but the business of sports has created issues that are too complex for the casual approach that we enjoy in typical sports talk shows. We've developed this podcast to host in-depth conversations about those topics with people who can help us learn. So grab your favorite beverage and join us for Intelligent Sports Talk in the Coffee Pod. That's the big thing. We just want you to be comfortable. I'm comfortable. Yeah, it's yeah. that way. That way we can get the real information out of people as long as they're comfortable now. Instead of the stage. Exactly. Yeah. We don't want people uptight because then they won't tell us everything that we want to know. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But uh, thank you for coming, by the way. Uh, Felicia Martin here is joining us on today's podcast. Uh, Felicia is an associate athletic director for academics at the university, Texas Tech University. Um, and... Before we get into kind of all the nuances of what you do, kind of everyday life, we'd really like to hear a lot about how you got to this point, kind of what led you in and kind of the opportunities that were given to you that you sought after, things you took advantage of, and yeah, just everything. And then I'll ask questions along the way. Perfect. Well, thank you for this opportunity. Generally, when people are thinking about athletics academics is the least sexy part of it. So to have an opportunity to talk about what we do up at the Marshall Sharp Center is really exciting for me. So first and foremost, uh, having this kind of audience to educate them on the efforts that our student athletes make and the university's effort also in making sure that they have good student experiences and get great academic support and wonderful degrees from a campus that is so supportive on so many levels. Quite honestly, I came to athletics by mistake. Um, I got my master's degree from Mississippi State University, and as I was finishing, I was pretty sure I was going to be in student affairs, um, loving campus life, orientation, admissions offices. I had a graduate assistantship in a counseling center, working with some peer groups, some student groups. Loved, loved, loved being on campus, so I knew I was looking for a university experience, and it really never explored athletics. Um, At the end of my master's, I did what every student does. I didn't have a geographic area that I wanted to go, so I started applying for jobs, um, largely in student affairs, some admissions, and just nothing felt right at the time. Um, I was challenged by a graduate advisor to apply for a position at a place called Lubbock, Texas. No, yeah. imagine that. Had you so, had, have you heard had you had heard of Texas of Lubbock at that point? Neither one of us had. We no. actually took out a map because it was long enough ago that we had to take out a map quest. Okay. And find it on the map, and we actually asked another gentleman to come in and help us find it because <laughs> we were around the Dallas area looking <laughs> yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I applied for the position. I got a phone call. Told my graduate advisor. I said they're not going to call. I wasn't a former student athlete. I don't have experience in athletics. I like sports, but as far as getting a job in an athletic department, I just thought they would be looking for something that was much more direct instead of related experience. And as it turned out, they were looking for related experience. They wanted somebody who um, knew about recruiting. Of course, I did because I worked in admissions and with the orientation at Mississippi State. That was called a roadrunner. It's probably one of the best experiences of my life. I learned lots about the university. I learned how to give tours. 
Um, we learned etiquette. It was just so many wonderful things that um, being a student recruiter at that time brought at Mississippi State. I was an orientation leader, um, was in a sorority, worked with sororities. So there were a lot of things on my resume that didn't say athletics, but it said student development. Um, I'd worked in a counseling center, so I got the importance of the counseling aspect of working with college students. I'd done a practicum in career services, so I worked with students on mock interviewing and shook hands with some of the businesses and helped to set up for career fairs. I had a lot of student affairs experience, but at the time, with the time leaving Mississippi State and coming to Texas Tech, what they wanted was a student development aspect. They wanted somebody who understood students and understood theory and understood, you know, working with the 18 to 22-year-old um, population. So Steve Urias, who was the director over at the center at that time, um, gave me a call and had a telephone interview, and they brought me to Lubbock, Texas. I had an on-campus, and it was, it, it was interesting, but it was also odd because I felt like I was in an environment that I hadn't been exposed to. And there was a part of that that I loved the challenge of, that this could be something new for me. I'm thinking, okay, first-time experience. If they offer this job, which I didn't think they would, mm-hmm. um, I'll spend three years here, go on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, got offered the job and made the decision to come to Lubbock, Texas. Those first couple of years in Lubbock and at Texas Tech working in athletic academic services were so exciting. And it was exciting from the standpoint of, one, it was wonderful people. Um, Two, it was a population or a subset of a population that I hadn't worked with before with student athletes. And the other part of it was it was all brand new to me. Um, What I realized was that I was able to apply lots of what I'd done at Mississippi State and through student affairs to athletics. So it felt okay. I was learning more about sports, learning about working with coaches, learning the way that recruiting was done on the athletic side. I was a really young professional, so the opportunity to be on committees and work with different units on campus and get exposed to student affairs here and do things with res life. It was just, it was a very, very solid foundation in athletics, athletic academic services. That's where the foundation was more than anything else. Um, from there, I did make a decision to leave Texas Tech and take a job at Division One A Athletic Directors Association. At the time, that office was in South Lake. They later moved to Grapevine. But what, when you say South Lake, you're talking about the suburb of Dallas. Yes, right. yes. Um, thank you. Uh, no, that, no problem. That was a professional organization for athletic directors, and we did programming for folks who wanted to be ads. Um, we went on campuses and helped them to build their student development or student affairs offices for student athletes. Um, Really got exposed to some of the politics of athletics, Um, got to see incredible leaders work because ADs are like CEOs of their own, you know, companies and got a chance to get exposed to their management styles and philosophies when it came to finance and working with Dutch Bachman, who was my boss, and the kind of exposure he gave me to other entities like the NCAA and NACTA and and being able to reach beyond just my campus experience. And I thought as far as another level of education for athletics, I couldn't have done better because what it did was it got me out of my little campus shell and exposed me to the landscape of college athletics. And I mean, it it went from there, really. Um, Making the decision to come back to Texas Tech, I was really fortunate. I always say that anybody who hires me twice is a fan for life. So (laughs) I was able to come back in 2008 and uh, actually took my old boss's job. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So I'm now leading the program that I was 
first working in in 1999. So it's just been really good to come back and see the growth of the university, see all the different things that college athletics and Texas Tech in itself is doing for student athletes. So it's been an incredible ride. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and where did your boss end up? Where did he retire here? Um, your old boss, sorry, whose spot you took at Texas Tech. Um, he actually went to another university. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a different position or same position? I think different position. Yeah. Okay. I think it was a different position. And I'm guessing, uh, so his philosophy obviously wasn't you don't need to be directly involved in athletics in order to work in a department such as this. Uh, so how have you adapted that philosophy or have you kind of stayed true to that or as, as the new person in his position when you took over? I, some of all of what you just said from the standpoint of adopting that related experience means a great deal. Uh, Direct experience does look different on a resume because you're thinking, okay, this person has been there, done that. But when you're looking at related experience, you also need to look at what do my students need? Do my my students need another athletic academic advisor who's worked for another university? Or do they need someone who's much more like a counselor or a learning specialist? Like, where are the gaps on my staff? As far as philosophy is concerned, I'll always remain true to student development and student affairs. Right. End of the day, regardless of how many people fill the stadium, how many people come to the baseball game, you're watching 18 to 22-year-old young men and young women do one of the things that they do best and my role and my responsibility is to support who they are as people and who they are as students. And so I'll, although I'll always be fans of their sport, I'm much more fans of graduation and getting a job and life after sport and character building and some of those things. And that's such an admirable aspect to, to college athletics, right? That's often overlooked. You see all the one and dones in, in college basketball and people kind of wonder, oh, so they're just treating it like a stepping stone and and whatnot, but this provides kind of more of the um, it's it's more specifically catered to progress in life because athletic, athletics obviously most likely will not be around for their whole lives. That's correct, and I think that's well put as far as progress in life. Um, there are so many things an 18 year old, 17, 18 year old year. This, this coach is sitting in my living room with me and my mom and telling us you know, what I can do to help his team, telling me all the wonderful things that this university experience, getting this degree will mean to me and my family. And sometimes it's all the lights, it's the camera, it's the fans, it's what you see on ESPN. And then when you get here, it is all of that, but it's so much work. It takes so much discipline and so much structure. And at the end of the day, it's just like high school, no pass, no play. So being able to have a center like the Marsha Sharp Center that help with the discipline of it um, to make sure you do have the same kind of guidance and academics and life skills that you do with your sport. I always tell recruits and parents that they should look at the center the same way they do at a coaching staff. You've got assistant coaches, you've got position coaches, you've got a pitting, pitching a coach, and then you've got a head coach. So I look at myself as a head coach for academics, Mm -hmm. and then the support staff, um, they're assistant coaches and associate coaches, and they're specialists in their area. So what I try and get our students to understand is the same kind of team and influence of team that you have with sport, you have with academics, and it's about your effort. So if you're putting in 110% in the weight room and 110% when it comes to your practice time and what you eat, then why would you cheat academics? Because that's a part of the holistic approach to being a scholar athlete. Um, We remind them all the time, you are a student athlete. 
And although sometimes, depending on the time of year, it might get flip-flopped at the end of the day, there are students here. Absolutely. And I want to point out, too, uh, something specifically admirable to your old boss's approach when he got you in the first time around. Uh, I like that he brought you in not having any athletic experience prior to what you were doing because oftentimes that can be such a big strength because you're looking at it through an entirely different lens. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and again, had it not been for someone encouraging me, I never would have applied because the only thing I could see was that I didn't have athletic experience, regardless of it was academics or student athlete affairs. I was just like, I hadn't worked with student athletes. I hadn't been in an athletic department. So even transferable skills, regardless of what your career path is or what you're considering right now as far as life after sport, there is something from every experience that we can bring to the next experience. And it's a matter of making sure that we are treating each opportunity um, with the kind of care and concern. So you have confidence that you did this thing really well at point A. What from point A can you bring to point B? So for me, it was the student engagement. I was close enough in age for the relatability, but I also understood, again, back to the student development and the student affairs aspect, that at the end of the day, they were living and breathing on campus and what did campus life mean to them? What it's what did that experience, how did that experience impact who they were academically and athletically? Um, people will tell you if you're unhappy, it's hard for you to achieve athletically, academically, in your social life if you're not I happy. That. So in our student development approach or over in the Marshall Sharp Center, we want to be sure that we're showing you where your resources are on campus. What are things outside of athletics that are available to you as a student? Um, we're asking, what are you interested in? Okay, so you haven't done an internship. How much community service are you involved in? Um, we've got such a wonderful campus community that's looking for people to volunteer and get engaged. So I'm encouraging our students that Girls and Boys Club and you know going to these local schools and going to hospitals and seeing sick kids, that's all a part of their responsibility here um, as they participate in sport, as they, they represent Texas Tech. We want them to know that all of those things come into play and making sure that from a student and character building standpoint that we're investing in that as much as we are in their gear, as much as we are in the facilities, that we're investing in the person. We're in, in just a total student athlete. Absolutely. And, and, and we see these sad stories over time, mm. time and time again, too, about um, the athletes in college and, and in high school as well uh, who don't ever make it to college because of injuries or things like that, who didn't have those resources available to them. And so they kind of just flounder from there mm -hmm. and they're not exactly reaching their potential because they put so much emphasis and effort into athletics, which is great to a degree, but you're really taking a big risk there. Yeah. Right? I think what we have to remember, though, they are making decisions as young men and young mm -hmm. women that are so focused generally on the things that their parents and their friends focus on. So if I'm coming from an environment where education wasn't as revered, that education wasn't pushed, but if I made a home run, if I did something awesome on the track, that's when my parent or my friend, they thought I was awesome there. And we have to remember that the backgrounds that they're coming from sometimes don't always you know, encourage education in the same way. Absolutely. Um, so giving them the opportunity to see you need a plan A and a plan A. 
um, yeah. giving them the numbers as far as the NFL and not not for long, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that the numbers for NBA are even more dismal. Um, you know, we talk about the one and dones and the young men who have the kind of athletic capability to compete one year and then leave. You know, it's not a whole lot of people that can do that. Right. So where are you in the stat and making sure that they understand that the education is the thing that will always be there. Um, having the investment in who they are as people and connecting with alum and making sure that they have a campus experience outside of athletics um, for those young men and young women who do suffer from injury really concern about them because of the way their identity is wrapped up into who they are athletically, which is why programs like uh, the Leadership Academy and what we do over the Marshall Sharp Center are even more important because although we recognize and we honor the athletic part of them, Absolutely. we also want them to see there's so many other parts of you. So how do you invest in those parts the same way you do who you are as far as an athlete is concerned? That's nice. I mean, it sounds like you're trying to really cultivate an environment that kind of is is somewhat representative of the environment they had at their home when they were feeling their self-worth and their identity through the lens of their parents and their mm-hmm. friends and they saw them score a touchdown or, you know, hit the game winner and and then they're saying, well, yeah, that's my value. That's great. But then they come here and the environment that, that really you're trying to do at the Marsha Sharp Center and things like that is, well, hey, you're worth much more than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes it's, again, I go back to that age group, that 18 to 22, when we're all going through such identity development. And in some instances, almost identity crisis, because it's not like it was before. And every I'm 28, and I'm still going through this identity (laughs) crisis. You hear me? We just get to this certain point and letting them know it's okay, that they don't have to always have it figured out. But there are other ways Mm -hmm. for you to find value in self. There are other ways for you to make a living. You don't have to go. Um, to the NBA, uh, you can actually become a businessman. You can. I'm still teach. figuring that out. Actually, I was thinking 28. Is that too old to make the NBA? Absolutely yet? not. <laughs> I still think I got a shot. Yeah, maybe. No, I'm joking. But uh, yeah, and and to kind of um, uh, actually relate this to a documentary I saw um, not too long ago. Are you familiar with the ESPN 30 for 30 series? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love them. Yeah, I love them. One of my favorite is um, The Broke. I oh, love the that's and oh that's and that's so pertainable to what we're yeah. talking about, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of those guys did not put any emphasis in academics, and they were thinking, "Get me to the league, and then I'll do whatever I want with my money." Right. And those two things work in tandem so well together. The mm-hmm. education aspect of money handling, and they're trying to get better at all that. Yeah. The one I was thinking of specifically was actually the best that ever was. Do you remember that one? Yes. Marcus Dupree. Yes. And that was was that Mississippi? Yes. That was Mississippi. Yes, Is it that was. and that's where you're from? Yes. Yeah. I'm originally from um, Bay Springs, Mississippi. It's probably like saying um, Mayberry, USA. Very <laughs> okay. small southern place um, that I was born and raised in. I go back home often. My parents are still there. Well, so. it sounds lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's green. Yeah, well, hey, that's, <laughs> it's green with humidity. I wonder what that's beautiful. like. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, Marcus Dupree, uh they and they, it's that title is no accident. Like they did it on purpose. That he was the best. He may have been the best running back ever had he made it out of college. Oh, and he actually did make it to the NFL eventually, but more just kind of as a reserve roster. And he never actually got on a roster for a season. But they, watching the highlights of him play in college, fantastic. Yeah, he had a he had a scholarship at Oklahoma with Barry Switzer. Mm-hmm. 
things happened that uh, the relationship kind of got strained there. So then he came back to a junior college, I believe, in Mississippi and ended up battling an injury that he never fully got over. And because he wasn't able to couple his athletics with a great academic base, it was really that he struggled through all of life. It is, uh, and I hate to use this, but it is a wonderful cautionary tale Mm -hmm. for young men and young women who get so invested in athletics that they don't get invested in other ways. It's also, you know, who's around you? Who's advising you? Um, Making sure that they understand that although athletics and their scholarships can get you to a university, what keeps you there? And some of the decision-making that that goes on with that. I think the ESPN 30 for 30s um, should be free to the public. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, We we have used a couple of those in our IS-1200 class and um, just to give them snippets of things that... Do you want to explain IS-1200? IS-1200 is a freshman seminar class that we do specifically for student-athletes. It's that introductory course, their first full semester, so that fall semester. Um, It's probably one of the only classes that they have all other student-athletes in it. It's much like the freshman seminar on campus, the 1100, except in this one, we talk about the student-athlete experience. Makes sense. What your calendar is going to look like. Mm. How do you manage your time when it's the spring and you're all over the place with women's basketball and travel? Um, We talk about leadership. What does that mean? People keep telling me I'm a leader because I'm great with softball. But what does that mean? How do you transfer leadership skills to other areas of your life? We talk about diversity because we have young men and young women who haven't been in environments where there's as much diversity as they might find in their sport and how to deal with those differences. We talk about resources. So we bring people over from campus and we let them know all the people who on within the athletic department on a day-to-day basis are there just to make sure that they have great experiences. Um, I love the class because it does give us an opportunity to get to know students on the front end uh, to see and, and, Really, one of the other awesome things about it is I can remember some of them in the freshman seminar classes, and when they get ready to graduate, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, he is such a different kid, or she's so great, I thought she wasn't going to make it. (laughs) But that that class is just one of the opportunities we have to try and feed into them, to let them know, hey, we know that you're about to face some things right now, so let's make sure we get you armed with as many resources as we can. Curiously, and maybe you, maybe you can't really answer this question just due to memory, but uh, do you happen to know what Todrick Gocher may have been like when he first entered the university? Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, yeah? <laughs> he was still a great kid, but he was still a kid. He was, <laughs> um, and, you know, I, now that you mentioned Todrick, all joking aside, right. I got a and lot this is of why respect I for him, him. Yeah. Um, because we've had some coaching changes, yeah. particularly with men's basketball. And if I recall, Todrick... When he is, he'll graduate with his third degree from third Texas. Third degree. That's why mm-hmm. I bring him up. Yeah. Um, undergrad, um, master's degree, maybe an MBA. I'm, uh, tr- I'm getting, trying to get him in there. I'm not sure what his second degree was, but yeah, it was an undergrad. Yeah, I can't and remember. Two in graduate what, degrees, maybe. But he's just finishing up his master's degree mm-hmm. in in communication. Mass-com. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, Todrick, for me, as far as tenacity and stick to itness. And to have four different head coaches, if you've not been around athletics in an intimate enough session or setting to get what a head coach change could do to the culture of a team, could do to your role within the team, could do to your experience. It could drastically change your experience, whether with your sport 
or with academics because of that coach's philosophy and how things are treated. And for him to have made it successfully through four head coaches and to come out shining, he is, for me, one of the biggest ambassadors for Texas Tech Athletics Mm -hmm. and Texas Tech University. He isn't just a good student who happens to be an athlete. He has enjoyed his experience at Texas Tech and will tell anybody how much the university means to him and um, you know, right now he's learning to golf, which I think is really interesting. Yes, yes. So I'm sure he'll be back for some of the alumni golf tournaments. Oh, <laughs> I'm really for excited for him to make lots of money so he can donate back to the Marsha Shop right. Center. And I, yeah. I tell him that often. So, But Todrick is a good example of a good core of students we have. And they're just so many exactly. different stories and so many different journeys and the kinds of things that they've overcome and struggled through sport and otherwise and just you know it's it's for me I'm really really blessed to be working with that group of students every day like I tell people this all the time and I'm sure if a coach hears this they'll understand why I'm saying it I would not work for coaches I work for our students and the student athletes keep me going to make sure that they've got a great experience here and that I'm a good advocate for them and that I'm a liaison for the resources and services uh, it's just a really great position to be in. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. And yeah, just Todrick, I mean, he really is. He's a success story of what the services can accomplish that you provide. And I actually specifically kind of want to get into the Marsha Sharp Center. Sure. If you could maybe explain in a little more detail exactly what goes on there. And Marsha Sharp, we're actually hoping to have on a podcast oh, eventually. Oh, that'll be cool. She is just a legend out here <laughs> in Lubbock. So it would be yeah. extraordinary to have that happen. Um, and this is a center named after her. She was... Uh, I don't one one time national champion mm-hmm. for women's basketball, but amazing success yes. through the years as a head coach for women's basketball here at Texas Tech. Well, you've got to be legendary when they name a highway after you, right? right? I yeah. mean, the center is one thing, but to yeah. have a highway, and it'll and be great for you to have her. And it's so nice, <laughs> easily accessible, yeah. and everything. I'm just gonna I'm gonna spend a whole podcast talking about the highway with her. Be like, how does that feel? <laughs> um, it's funny because every now and again, students will say. She's still living? We've got all these things named after mm-hmm. her and she's still here? Because yeah. usually it's when people are gone right. on that yeah. we name their namesake. But, but we couldn't wait for that. No, we couldn't. <laughs> she's too great. Yeah. And um, the Marsha Sharp Center for Student Athletes is athletic academic services specific to athletes. And most people don't understand that the NCAA actually mandates that as a university, if we have college teams who are competing, um, who have to meet academic standards and benchmarks that we have to give them services. Now, whether we have a center as great as the one that we have, or if we just use university services, it depends on the size of your school and where your resources are. Um, but the Marsha Sharp Center for Student Athletes, we touch students from the point of recruitment um, to graduation. Uh, it isn't a center just for students who struggle academically. Uh, it isn't just for our scholar students. It is a service and a center specific for student athletes. Um, one of the things that I always remind them, I said, okay, we open at 7.30 in the morning and we close at 10 at night. I mean, we're almost like the library. Right, you're going to get yeah. study hall. You're going to get tutoring. Um, we have learning specialists there. Each team has an athletic academic advisor that's specifically working with that student um, with the balance between what their degree plan says and really meeting benchmarks for NCAA 
Um, when are you registering, knowing that your baseball season is what your baseball season is? When are you right. registering for classes? Um, our coaches are not allowed to speak to faculty about student-athlete progress. So we are those li- liaisons if students have concerns or issues um, or what? just to make sure the support is there. Why do you think that is? That oh, I know why there is. Yeah. Um, we never want anyone to feel like they're getting pressured from a coach um, with regard to a student's academic progress or lack thereof. Um, so the Marshall Sharp Center and our staff are responsible for communicating that with coaches. And we'd hate for a conversation between a coach and an, an, an instructor to get misconstrued as if they were trying to get additional credit or wanted mm-hmm. special treatment for a student. And really, it's more protection for our coaches Right. than it is anything else because we've got a great set of coaches right now and I know they would never do anything to intentionally um, hurt a student's eligibility, but we just don't want that perception to be there. So we want to be sure that there's a clear line between um, what our staff's role is with faculty and staff and what the coach's role is. So they support students from an academic standpoint, but they don't do the administration behind supporting the students. So Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And so you talked about how the NCAA actually mandated to kind of have a center similar to Marsha Sharp, but for all universities across the board that are NCAA universities, does that as well apply to your position within Texas Tech? Is that a mandated position? Not necessarily. Um, If you look at where my colleagues are, they're all over the board. Some of them report directly to the provost office from an academic affairs standpoint. Some report within athletics. Um, There are some units where um, the Marsha Sharp Center would more or less be a university um, academic center, and student-athletes would just go to that center. So the need for a director is more or less at the discretion of the institution and where the resources are. Um, For me to be in the position that I am in with our academic affairs and working with provost office and having the support of the athletic department, I really feel like I've got the best of both worlds. Um, I know that there are other colleagues that might not have as positive experience reporting through athletics, but I've not had any problem with that. Um, Every um, athletic director I've had uh, has always wanted to do the right thing with regard to we are a part of the institution. We are not above the institution. Yes, there is lots of hmm, fanfare and publicity and meteorites and we're on TV, but we're a part of the university. We're Texas Tech University. And I have a lot of respect for my bosses and making sure that we all feel that way instead of thinking we're above board with regard to the university. Great. Mm-hmm. No, that's, yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, and I'm not sure if you were aware of this, but I was talking to uh, Dr. Brian Shannon. Mm-hmm. Um, Our FAI. Just, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, about two weeks ago, he was on a podcast. Mm-hmm. And he had mentioned, and it was just this little gem that literally about a minute left in the podcast just kind of puts it out there. And I'm just thinking, that's incredible. Holy cow. Like, we should have talked more about this, but we didn't really have time. Maybe we could talk about it with you. Um, and it really also goes to what you're doing with the Marsha Sharp Center, with the academic advisor and all of that, those positions and how important they are. Are you familiar with uh, the number of student athletes we have here and how many of them are first generation uh, college 
students? Yeah, we average um, probably about 430, 440 student athletes. I mean, that number mm-hmm. fluctuates depending on right. how many are carried on the roster for football and who's in training and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But um, probably well over 100 of our student athletes are first generation. Uh, and the impact of that, again, when we go back to the value of that degree and the way you change not only the trajectory in your life, but your family's life. Yep. Because you become you become an example. You become um, this model of what can be. And that, you know, the sky's the limit. I mm-hmm. got my degree. I You know, I played volleyball and I got my degree. You can do this, too. And, and what it does from the standpoint of changing families, changing um, your self-confidence outside of sport. I'm, I believe in sport. I think it teaches so much. I think our students are getting experiences with sport, whether it's about leadership or tenacity or you know, time management, perseverance, the way to compete, um, uh, having a goal in mind, teamwork. There's so many things that sport teaches but I think the things that they learn in sport can be applied in the classroom and in their jobs and with their families. And so for me, sport is just this conduit. And we, wanna, we want them to utilize it in a way that from an academic and a professional standpoint, that they're better for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know what? You just about nailed that number. It was uh, Dr. Shannon shared with us. He said, I think the number he gave was about 415 student athletes mm-hmm. right now currently. 115 of them about is what he said first generation college students and that is such an incredible number that's more than one-fourth of all the student athletes are first generation college and that is such a huge advantage that they have in life all of a sudden like you say the value long term for their life is irreplaceable yeah it is it absolutely is and uh it's it's fun to see that happen it's going to be life-changing for them and their generation to come. It's also going to show to their family really the importance of going to college as, as well. You know, yeah. maybe they'll have little brothers and sisters that didn't really weren't thinking along those lines, but or unless they could get a scholarship uh, for through athletics. But maybe that's where that perception can change. I, I think you're right in that in the number of conversations that I've had with young men and young women who say things like, I've I've got to do this, Felicia. I've got to do it. I've got a brother, and I need him to see that I can do this. Or someone whose grandmother has invested in them in a way that maybe she couldn't invest in her children. And so they have these other people that they're living for and um, achieving for. And some of that helps us. I've got to be honest with you. So Mm -hmm. when I say, you know, what's your granddad going to think when Mm -hmm. we have to tell him that you're not doing really well? And Mm -hmm the looks on their faces and the changes in their attitudes because, one, they don't want to let mama down. Or, right. you know, my auntie, oh, my gosh, she helps me with getting here. If I've got to tell her that they're going to send me home because I'm not doing well eligibility-wise. Um, it's It's been, again, it's just an amazing experience to, to have that kind of insight and have those kind of intimate relationships with those students. It's, 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 it's the reason I get up every day and I come to Tech. That's great. Yeah. That's one of the more rewarding aspects of your job, Absolutely. I imagine. Absolutely. That and graduation. Right? Yeah. That was actually going to be my next question. Um, graduation success rates, are you familiar with those mm-hmm. and how, how those look? Graduation success rate is the NCA's way of calculating how many of our student-athletes we are graduating. Um, in addition to graduation success rates, we've got APR. Um, and what I say is those are the matrices that the NCAA measures our I don't want to say value, but they can look at our wins and losses. 
they can look at those stats, but what are we doing with retention and academics? So with graduation success rates, and this is a number that the NCAA no longer keeps, but for us, what we look at is also an exhausted eligibility number. And so how many of our student athletes exhaust their athletic eligibility and still graduate from Texas Tech? Okay, yeah. And that number is well over 90%. Oh, wow. Yeah. So our graduation success rates in the last couple of years have, have been right around 79 and 80%. And um, what we do with that number is we like to say to a student, you can compete at the highest level and graduate. We do it here at Tech. We help you do it here at Tech. The other thing that I've been really surpri surprised that most people don't know about, but maybe we're not doing a good job talking about it, um, let's say the league does come calling and that our baseball student or our men's basketball student just, they've got to leave to go to the league. Mm -hmm. um, and they leave here before getting their degrees. We actually have a degree completion program um, that if you want to come back to Tech and finish your degree, we help you. And we make sure that the NCA has a scholarship and we also have a line item. And that's not connected to any sport. It's actually an academic line item. So you call and you say, hey, I left three years ago. I've got 30 hours left. I want to come back. And we help you come back. Okay. That's just how invested we are in making sure yeah. that you complete your degree. So that, okay, so you're just kind of putting it on hold for them in a sense. And they may not make that clear at the time. No. They may go off and do their thing and they then might, decide... Mm -hmm. I'm done. I want to finish now. That's right. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, we have no, so. eight to ten student athletes back probably every year now. Some of their progress is a little slow because if you're off and you've married and you've got kids and you're working, you might only be able to take three or six hours a semester, but they're making progress. And then we have some that get to a certain place and then they say, you know what, I'm coming to live in Lubbock for the summer so I can finish my degree. Um, yeah. it's, it's really it's a really that's fantastic yeah. absolutely and it's funny because even with recruiting you kind of don't want to mention it because you want them to finish their degree right. before they leave absolutely. but then when it comes to sports like football basketball and baseball you have to mention it because those are the revenue generating sports that probably have more aspirations of professional sport than some of the others because when our soccer students go off um, to play for their countries or play um, professionally, typically they're they're going to finish their degree or they're at a point of finishing their degree. So it right. just seems to be much more natural for them to get it done. Well, this is certainly Texas Tech's way of acknowledging really what's most important. I right? agree. It's not that this they've got some sort of quid quo, pro quo set up where as long as you perform for us athletically, we'll provide you with everything yeah. you need. But it's more like... You came to us for an education. We want to make sure you get that education. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not even looking at your stats when you were here as a running back. What we're looking at is, was he on a roster? He was there. Let's help him. Great. And so we go from there. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, I had a question uh, about this earlier. Uh, addressing those that stay um, regardless of their eligibility being used up, are they still on a scholarship? And this is curiously asking from my standpoint. Do they still have a scholarship or is it as a scholarship over at that point, too, and they still stay and finish? Let me make sure I'm understanding your question. So once I've exhausted my eligibility, right. I've got four years of eligibility, and I still have some degree to finish. And there's 90% 90, 90 of the athletes that that happens to finish. Yes, yes. And so now my question is, are those 90% that are finishing, are they still on scholarship yes, somehow? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, the way we're, when it's been wired this way at Texas Tech for a while, we are committed to your undergrad degree. So even when you exhaust eligibility, there's a way for us to pay for you to complete your um, undergrad degree. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. And of course, you know, the perfect scenario is that your eligibility 
exhaust right about the time you graduate. But the re- you know, the reality is most of the time it doesn't happen that way. You still need a semester or you need a spring semester and a summer and you can get it done. So for us, we're like, okay, now you have no excuse. All age. You're not even competing in your sport right now. Mm-hmm. So let's get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um you had mentioned this a little bit earlier as well. Uh, community involvement for the athletes, student athletes. What exactly does that entail? Whatever our community needs, whatever the civic engagement, we can make sure that a student athlete knows about it and can get engaged with it. Um, now, because of promotional appearances, we do have a little bit of paperwork that we have to complete to make sure that it isn't for our local telephone company who's just trying to get a couple of student athletes there to raise money. Right. Um, we needed to truly be uh, service. We needed connected to the community. We needed to be connected to a civic organization. Um, but you let us know that you'd like some volleyball students and a baseball student to come out for a reading day. Uh, you submit the proper paperwork through our Leadership Academy, and we get that information out to our student athletes and line it up with their calendar, and they're there. Um, we have hmm, right about 1,200 hours each academic year that our student athletes are putting into the community. Um, there are certain sports that have particular civic organizations that they're really dedicated to, whether it's Ronald McDonald House or um, Susan G. Coleman, and we can always count on them getting involved and invested if they have different things going on. But then some of our student athletes just, hey, um, it's off season. What what's what schools can I go to? Um, who needs me to come and help with a particular thing? Just because they genuinely enjoy doing mm-hmm. that. Not only do they genuinely enjoy it, I think it's one of those things that keeps them grounded as well when they see these little kids that are looking up to them if they're in communities or at a soup kitchen or helping with um, some donations just um, two weeks ago our SAC group which is our student athlete advisory committee um, had people donate clothes they called it their spring cleaning uh, so that they could get those donated and they donated them to a couple of shelters I mean so our students do have the community in mind. They are invested. And, of course, these are young men and young women who are coming from environments where that was a part of what you do. You help people who are in need, and they are all so incredibly blessed. And when they see that they can help um, other people in other organizations, they're getting engaged, they're getting involved. Of course, it looks really good on their resumes, too. Absolutely. So we encourage it. So if you're looking at teaching and coaching, we look for opportunities for you to participate with elementary schools or reading days so that you can get that engagement. Um, so we, we're hoping that we can specialize it a little more for them. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had mentioned the Student Athlete Advisory Committee. Mm-hmm. And so is that a committee made up of student athletes? Yes. Um, that SAC, um, I call them my SACers, uh, <laughs> they all represent their team. So we usually have one or two representatives from each team. We meet once a month, sometimes twice, because they've got an executive cabinet to talk about whatever they want to talk about. Um, We give them updates with regard to NCAA and legislation. Um, We talk about what's going on with community service and where we need them. Um, They talk about programming. What do they want to do? Is there a certain thing that they want to get invested in or do differently um, with student-athlete programming? Um, They are a lively bunch. I love it because they... They're self-motivated and self-driven. Um, they come up with their own agendas. I just make sure that they have a space. And, of course, I make sure there's food. Food always helps. 
and they come always together. Always in anything. Yeah. That's so true. They, they are student athletes and they're hungry. Oh, absolutely. Um, but that group is also some of the leaders that we turn to when we need ambassadors on campus or if they're representing us in particular things. That's a group that we always turn to. They're always around the sharp asking, what can I do? Hey, I've got this question. Somebody was having an issue with parking. How do we communicate this back to the team? Um, that's the group that's always out supporting each other. Mm-hmm. And so you'd see them at different events, Raiders supporting Raiders, making sure that they um, get messages out on Facebook to say, hey, you know, this weekend is a really big weekend for men's tennis. Get out, support them. Um, but they're they're a great group. I enjoy them. So do they run for this position? Or are they appointed? Not necessarily. Um, at one time, we did some of both. So coaches would say, hey, Felicia, we think this kid will be great for SAC. And then sometimes it's what we see in a student, maybe the potential of leadership. Always it's not the starter that's the best person for SAC. Sometimes it's that informal leader that doesn't talk as much but has a lot of influence with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's that student that is a little more reserved outside of his or her sport that could use a little extra push to get involved and engaged outside of their sport. Or, hey, I really think you'd be good for this. You've got some great ideas. Um, how can we get you to be a part of it? Um, so right now, it's, of course, they can come. Anybody can come. But if we have voting, we keep it to whoever the appointed representative is for each team but we have 35 kids or so there every time we meet well that is great yeah yeah absolutely so before we wrap up here which this has been fantastic thank you so much by the way thank you for having me when i looked up your profile on the texas tech website I noticed what your favorite book was. Do you remember what you put? I have absolutely no idea what I put. <laughs> so if I ask you your favorite book right now, it may not be the same one it that I have. It might not be the same because I don't even remember when I put that <laughs> profile up. Give me a hint and then we'll talk about it. Uh, I don't know how I could give you a hint. I mean, it's one of my favorite books what too. That's it? why. I want, you to, I want you to guess. What, what would you say your favorite <laughs> book is right now? That's what I want to hear. Um, I'm, I've always been a Max... Well... Um, Malcolm Gladwell, all of his books are my favorites. Um, If I've got to pick one right now, I'm going to go with Tipping Point again. Nailed it. That's it. That has probably been, and I don't know why I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) That book influenced me so much. And that's actually why I brought it up. I wanted to to see if there, there was a connection at all with kind of the way you live your life, run run your life, and, and do your job. And, and if Tipping Point has anything to do with that. Plus, I, I happen to love that book. Yeah, too. probably. Because there there were some reflection points in there. I want to give you a little backstory first, though. Absolutely. The first time I really I knew about Malcolm Gladwell, one of the things that we didn't touch on that I probably should have said a little more about, there are organizations around athletic administration, and particularly what I do, that have been the backbone for resources and mentorship and professional development. So N4A and NACTA and NACWA. Um, NCAA was a really big one for me early on and still is because of their leadership development office. Mm -hmm. And what you had the opportunity to do through leadership development was get engaged as a facilitator for some of their student-athlete conferences. Um, I uh, submitted an application Probably the first time I was able to facilitate was 2000. But what the NCAA did, what I thought was a fabulous thing they did, instead of just giving you curriculum and saying, have at it, here are your 40 student athletes out of these 400 we have here at Disneyland, get them through it. They actually brought you to Indy 
and they taught you how to facilitate. They did teach you the curriculum, but they partnered you with somebody who was sort of your opposite, and they got to that with the DISC profile. In addition to partnering you with somebody different and giving you the curriculum and giving you the tools you needed to effectively facilitate the, the curriculum and navigate with these student-athletes for about four days, um, they put different people in front of you to challenge your thought processes and what's the difference between facilitating and teaching. What is something that you can read that will make you better for this experience? And that's where I got engaged with Tipping Point because they wanted us to talk through how do you make the curriculum sticky? You know, right. what are what are the yeah. things that can, uh, from this curriculum, where where can we start the epidemic? You know, it was, right. some, it yeah. was some of the really, really cool concepts. Here's what I'll tell you. Like, data generally bores me. I'm not a data fan, <laughs> but the way he presents the information, I don't even get that I'm reading st- statistics and data. It's and incredible. He's, he's, yeah. he's, re- he's doing the researcher thing to me, and I don't even get it because he's such a wonderful storyteller. Absolutely. And I think that was a part of um, my experience with The Tipping Point that I hoped that I was taking into my facilitation experiences. And I've had a couple of other opportunities since then to facilitate, and I just hope that with each time, and it's time for me to read it again, I'm glad you brought it up, <laughs> with each time I read it, that I take away something new, um, that I'm able to apply something or even reevaluate how I've applied something. So what's the thing that I can say to a student athlete today that'll stick? You know, what's what's my relatability? What is it about, um, regardless of where my age is, what is my role and responsibility for he or she to either have somebody in my office they relate to. So if there's a problem, if there's an issue, if they want to celebrate something, who do they go to? Mm-hmm. And making sure that we're all on the same page, um, that we're getting to the same place, even though we might do it a little different. Um, you know, oftentimes I'm a by any means necessary kind of person. Compliance hates to hear that. But, <laughs> you know, I'm going to get there ethically, I <laughs> yeah. promise. Um, but Tipping Point was one of my books. That's good. So yeah. tell me why you like it. Oh, I love it because kind of the same idea as you expressed, right? I mean, when when a trend takes place, right, when that thing starts to stick, yeah. people don't really ever question why. And that's what Gladwell did. Gladwell was like, well, why did that happen? What happened? He talks about (laughs) the hush puppy epidemic, I think is how he referred to it in New York, right? Mm -hmm. With with kind of the, uh, I can't remember what he called the crowd, but it was was probably, it sounded like what hipsters are today. Back in the 90s, they adopted the hush puppy shoes. They loved the look. And all of a sudden, these hush puppy sales just skyrocketed. And people are like, well, that's kind of weird, but whatever. Okay, go with it, you know? And and then he talks about crime in New York City. That one was fascinating with the subways and and uh, the new, I believe, was it the sheriff or the mayor? I think maybe it was the mayor. Decided, let's clean up the subway. Literally, we're going to take one subway car out at a time, and we're going to salvage it if we can. If we can't, we're going to get rid of it. We're going to get a brand new one in there to replace it, and we're going to do that over time. We're going to just have these clean subways. And Gladwell was a big proponent that that contributed to the crime drop in New York City in the in the mid-'90s because people felt safer being in a cleaner subway, being in a cleaner environment. It wasn't attracting just anybody and, and I guess, uh, criminals – uh, thought they weren't allowed there or something. <laughs> so something clean. Exactly. Which, yeah, that's such a novel concept, right? <laughs> clean it up. Um, all of those things, just can we, it just, I all of a sudden started thinking abstractly about that. You know, the whole word of mouth thing. He talks yes. about mavens and uh, I can't even remember the other two off the top of my head, but just kind of how everybody plays a different role in all of that. Yes. And 
and it's fascinating. It's just something I've never thought of before. And I'm with you. Gladwell, I think, is one of the more entertaining storytellers. Mm-hmm. Which, funny though, if you're a fan of Gladwell, uh, he specifically mentioned that he thinks Michael Lewis, who wrote Moneyball mm-hmm. and The Big Short, is the best storyteller wow. right now, currently. Oh. So that's a, a great endorsement. And uh, I, I personally like Michael Lewis as well, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyway, that's why I'm a Gladwell fan. And I and I think that's great how you related that to your life. It makes a lot of sense. You know, how do you how do you get those things to, to stick? How do you get them to resonate with your audience? Yes. And and you're never sure exactly what might work, but because everybody's so different. Yes. But, well, Felicia, once again, thank you so much. This has been a blast. Thank I mean the time you. just flew by and it was so great for you to take some time out of your day to, to meet with us. I appreciate it. All right. All right.